Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Clergy Suite. I'm Rabbi Dara Frimmer, and I sit today with two incredible people in my office, Rabbi Jacqueline Cohen, our cantorial soloist, and her husband, Joshua Cohen. And we had a conversation a long time ago about the dynamics of a rabbi and an accountant being married to one another. And so we thought it would be an interesting conversation to bring to the forefront. But before we get there, Jacqueline, Joshua, how was your weekend? Perchance, perchance, were you at Camp Elonim this weekend? You bet we were. We were, yes. We were there. We got there midday on Saturday because there was actually much to be done here at Temple while everyone was up at Alonim. So Rabbi Zoe and I had services, which were very rich and meaningful on Friday night. We had a bar mitzvah on Saturday morning. And then Josh and I packed up the car and drove north on Saturday midday and just to reach family right camp in. at its height. At oh, its yeah. Height, at its height. Oh, yeah, yeah, I kind of I wish I'd gone on the rock tower. I think next time I'm going to or the rock climbing wall. I'm going to do that. I don't I don't believe it. I've done it before. No, you haven't. Really? Yeah. Our You're executive Mr. director, Michael Kanner, definitely climbed twice, I believe. I heard, and he had to ring the bell. Yes. It is a very, uh, a it's a big incentive. The bell. That is, you did hear the accurate we story. We did hear, yes. <laughs> and next year after that, the Alpine Tower as well, which is a little bit hidden up on the hill. Yes. But it was a fantastic family camp weekend. Oh my God, it was amazing. And for those who were there, uh, we know how much you enjoyed it. And for those who have never gone, we hope next year you consider signing up uh, for this extraordinary community building opportunity. Yeah, it's uh, wonderful. And uh, I, I, my family as well had a great time. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about that moment. We actually had a play date many months yes. ago now, it seems. And while we were sitting there watching our kids play, I think, Jacqueline, you might have brought it up. I just, I can't remember the origins, but do you remember the sort of sense of like, why did you think this was going to be a great conversation? So... I think all conversations between the three of us are great, but I felt that there was a lot of richness sort of hidden within this one statement of, you know, Josh and I sometimes work together. We partner up to come at different questions related to planning for the future. We often talk about how we approach family dynamics and financial planning in the work that we do. For me, it's primarily with weddings. When I work with wedding couples or with a lot of wedding couples, I actually did a wedding on Sunday evening in Palm Springs. We left Alonim early on Sunday morning to get to Palm Springs so that I could be there in time to do this amazing wedding. Um, and I, even though the couple was Canadian, we had a lot of conversations about what does it look like to plan for the future? And I gave them in Canadian in, dollars. In Canadian dollars, and in and their laws are a little different than ours. Um, but even with this one couple, I find myself I found myself talking about the various nuts and bolts of not just planning for your Jewish future, but also planning for your financial, logistical, emotional future. And so Josh and I find a lot of alignment with that. And I thought this would be a great conversation for us to dive into. And do you feel? that your financial uh, linguistic skills have improved drastically since marrying Josh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Would you say that too? Yes. <laughs> yes. And Josh, for you, as you think about being an accountant and helping people plan, um, what has being partnered to a rabbi meant for your own sense of how you work with clients and how you think even about planning responsibly for the Sure. Course of your life. So I'd say almost I feel I'm held to a higher moral and ethical standard mm -hmm. because my wife is a rabbi. So there's just more there. So like I have to think about everything I'm doing. What does it look like through the rabbi's mindset or the clergy mindset? 
um, and then also bringing some of that pastoral care into the work that I do with clients through their own life cycle events, more financial life cycle. But as she does the community life cycle, I do the financial life cycle, which also involves some of those events. But making sure that people are aware of more than just the dollars and cents, because there's more to it. There's a lot of intangibles to it that need to be accounted for. Mm-hmm. And what's it like to try to give people language and structure to make something intangible tangible? Do you have a specific example? Sure. So, I mean, I, I think first you start with the tangible and line it up. And then you start talking about the intangible and how does that add or detract from the tangible. All right. So what's a tangible thing that you need to talk about? So I have a perfect example. I have a client that's looking at selling a parent's condo and they might live in it themselves and they have their own condo and it's what's the way to go and and you add up the dollars and cents. And so we've concluded living in the mother's condo is probably going to be more expensive. But the intangible aspects of it that come with this different condo might outweigh the tangible costs mm-hmm. uh, and would push you back to living in this mother's condo unit. And, and get, also the emotional tie, too. And the emotional tie. And that's part of the intangible. That's part of the intangible. Because yeah. you, want, you don't want to let something go that has all this connection. And so, uh, Jacqueline, for you, when you talk with couples, do you feel like you end up as using Josh's language, talking more about intangibles and then drawing on the tangible pieces like have you created a plan for after you die or have you had estate planning and talked about where your children someday, God willing, if you have them, uh, who will they go to if both of you uh, are unable yeah. to care for them? So interestingly enough, I I have a whole system that I do with couples. I have three sessions, three scripts. The first session is really about getting to know them and their story. The second session is about tougher stuff. I call it the four F's, faith, family, finances, and fighting. And the third session is I get each of them to tell me typically one-on-one, sometimes we do it all together, what they love most about their partner and sort of get the the meat of the speech that I'm going to give to them under the chuppah. For a really long time, I didn't go as far as I could have with that second session just because I was still learning my own style and learning how to work with couples. And it wasn't until I was pregnant and my mentor, uh, Rabbi Mona Alfie, who I've known for a very, very long time, brought up with me at a conference, oh, you know, we were just sort of talking and she said, oh, of course, you know, like you, you have to talk with couples about an advanced healthcare directive and a will, right? Like you do that, right? And I sort of looked at her and I went, mm, I'm gonna. So that has Excellent become, response. yes. So that has become the actual like foundation of that second session. And now with every single couple, I bring up you know, first you have to get warmed up a little bit. You can't just start with these questions about life and death. Mm-hmm. Um, but once we get to know each other a little bit, I 100% of the time bring up what does it look like to merge your finances? What does it look like to plan for the future? What does it look like to sort of go beyond the here and now and talk about what if, God forbid, something happens to one of us? What if something happens to both of us? If we should be so lucky to have children, what would happen to our children? And I have found by and large that the couples that I work with are totally receptive to that conversation. They've never actually, for the most part, spoken about that before. Mm -hmm. And my goal is to really get them to start talking about it, to start thinking about it, and then to offer avenues um, for them to continue the conversation with a marriage and family therapist, with a financial planner, with an attorney, 
to make it less daunting and less scary. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I have done for years is I use a like 15 point uh, checklist of those kinds of topics. Say them again. You do you do family, faith, family, finances, and fighting. That's great. I might just limit it to those four. I think that's really <laughs> helpful to think I'll about. I'll give you all of my stuff. But if you out want of it. those fifteen questions around what does it mean to merge finances and how do you feel about your in laws and what's your policy on gift giving and how do you fight? Um, so some of those hidden intangible questions of, of a relationship. The last one is Um, What do you want after you die in terms of burial or cremation? Mm -hmm. And have you put affairs in order? And almost to to 100% of the couples I think I've worked with, when they sit down with me after they've discussed it with one another, all get to number 15 and say, we've never had that conversation. Other things you would think they're struggling with, they're learning, but the idea of at a time where you're thinking about joining your lives together and planning a future, the idea that you also need to think responsibly about, you will die someday. And that too is a part of responsible planning. And right. Josh, you're nodding. So Yeah, definitely. Part of responsible planning is being ready for the unfortunate catastrophic events and being aware of that. And I'd say one thing I've taken with as through our marriage and our world and our life is making sure I'm asking these questions sooner of people than I might have previously asked them. Because I see the life cycle that Jacqueline's doing, uh, baby naming, a bar and bat mitzvah, a wedding, and then a funeral. And so I'm seeing it always present. And it's a reminder of that you need to have these conversations so that it's uh, these celebration can be that much more powerful when there's a baby naming, when there's a B'nai Mitzvah, when there's a wedding or even a funeral, you can celebrate the life and not worry about, oh, these decisions were not made ahead of time. Right. We've seen that a lot in our personal and professional lives. And the reality is it's not super comfortable to talk about, right? Like this is this is something that is, it, we actually talk so much about how uncomfortable it is, but it's life and it is all part of the world that we live in. And so the more we talk about it, the more honest we are, the more we seek guidance too, the less scary it becomes. So let's try to get specific for our listeners. Uh, Josh, you first. What are the most important questions people need to be thinking about if they are going to plan responsibly? Not just I'm engaged and I'm getting married, but I've been married for years. My kids are tiny, they're middle, they're already grown. Regardless of whatever point of entry people are going to have, what do they need to be thinking about from your professional perspective? So from my professional perspective, I'd say it's making sure the family as a whole is protected, whatever that means. So making sure you've determined who's going to take care of your kids if something happens to you, making sure that the mortgage can still be paid if something happens to you or your spouse. Um, And also with, with the parents' generation, I'd say with our parents is making sure that they're aware of their path and their future and they're planning that. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, not only for ourselves. We need to be thinking up. Up, correct. Uh, because up and down. it's likely, even though we think our parents are so responsible, that they may not actually have done this work. Correct. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard work to do. And I'd say the first thing is getting kind of unstuck and having that hard conversation that nobody wants to have, but putting it out there and making sure they're thinking about it and sprinkling it in every so often. And Jacqueline, what would that sounder look like? Well, I was just going to say, we have had this experience ourselves. Uh, certainly, Josh and I, uh, we got married and then we moved to Seattle. We were far from our families. And 
I think the distance actually made us, especially when we were pregnant, want to have those conversations more. I felt like we were in like hyper planning overdrive in having those conversations with our families. Because, How'd that go over? Oh, you know, great. <laughs> Pretty good. Awesome. Oh, okay. I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> but it was, I think they're ongoing, right? They're conversations like life is dynamic. We are so lucky that our parents are healthy. We're also so lucky that they communicate with us about who they are, what they want, what they see for their future. Mm -hmm. And we have worked really, really hard to continue to foster that dialogue. It's not easy, but we have a greater sense of how our parents wish to continue living and thriving. They have a greater sense of who we are and what we want for our family. And I would say that the first step was really just opening the door and starting to talk. And I think you actually around, I remember very clearly uh, when we were, I was due in, I was due in December and in November around Thanksgiving, we had all of the family come in because I couldn't fly uh -huh. and right. everybody celebrated Thanksgiving with us. And you went around the table and asked everyone what they were going to do after you died. Yes, exactly. It was a great way to start the Thanksgiving meal. Did I cook that year? Mm, I sounds think unlikely. I, I think you I cooked. Think yeah. I think I did more of this that. Sounds, yeah, doesn't sound likely. Any hoodles. So we had everybody go around and offer a wish or a blessing for their soon-to-be grandson, nephew, and that opened up. Remember, we got everybody to write something down and yeah, put I something got in a folder. Yeah, I got everyone to write a letter. Do it you was know, my, my suggestion. It was his suggestion. To write a letter that our future child could open on their B'nai Mitzvah. But wow. that was a really good opening to say, that this is going to be 13 years from now. Let's talk a little bit about the future. And it was great. Do you have any idea where those are? The letters? They're in our important box. <laughs> Where's the important <laughs> box? I think somewhere. In, somewhere. I know where the important box is. All right, we'll find is. it. So I think we've also learned an important tactic, which is when you have a genius idea and it's going to take 13 years before you can reveal these letters, one needs an important box mm -hmm. to put them in. Yes, yes, definitely. I appreciate that. Um, Jacqueline, Jewish values uh, are often a big part of how we, I think, also can justify why we start hard conversations if we're grounded in a sense that either ancient wisdom says this is how we need to operate in life, even when it's difficult, or our ancestors had these conversations. Um, what Jewish values do you draw on when you either try to have these personal conversations with family members that are really hard and questions about mortality and about meaning and purpose and legacy, or when you're talking with your wedding couples? So a couple of years ago, I studied Musar, um, which is an ongoing thing that I continue to engage in whenever I can. Musar is, as I understand it, it's it's a form of, it's just a form of how you live in the world. It's Derek Eretz. It's how you engage with other human beings. And the way that it, it makes sense in my brain is you find a balance between extremes. And that for me just encapsulates the study of Musar. And there's two values from the study of Musar that really stick out to me. One is honesty and the other is authenticity or integrity. And for me, I've always understood honesty as finding a balance between being too honest, where if you're walking through the world and you are being so brutally honest and unfiltered with everyone you meet, that's not, you're not going to have a super, <laughs> you're not going to be a super successful human being because you have to filter. You cannot be completely brutally honest all the time, but you also can't walk through the world lying to people. You can't hide things from people. That's also not going to make you a successful person. So finding that middle ground and living your life with honesty and 
authenticity, integrity, to live your most authentic life. Um, those are two values that I think really guide our marriage. Would you say that? Yes. Definitely. And they guide our work. And our work. And, and and our parenting, I think. And I'd say for me, it's really hard to work with clients who are not as authentic as they should be that are hiding behind something. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not doing anything illegal, but just hiding behind things that I think are not as important. It's really hard for me to do that really good work that I've learned from my wife of the intangibles and pulling things out and helping people live through life events in the best possible way. Mm -hmm. Do you have any techniques that you've used over the years to try to break down either the walls or, or the obstacles that prevent people from being fully authentic? So I'd say one thing is meeting with clients outside of the busy period. Mm -hmm. So outside of a normal tax return, because that's just a one time a year or could be a couple times a year thing. Yep. Um, talking through clients about when they're leading up to a major life transition and making sure that they don't just do it in one year. It's a multi-year process. Um, and luckily, I've been very blessed to have clients who, who want that. Mm -hmm. um, and we've seeked each other out, which has been really great. So ultimately, I would say you probably face a similar challenge to rabbis, which is the transactional nature of working with an accountant. You say probably people want to see you during tax season to accomplish, do my taxes. Uh, you would prefer to have a multi-year relationship, Correct. to have big conversations, to allow trust to develop, Correct. to really understand interests and then make values-based decisions. Exactly. And Jacqueline, I think you and I are very familiar with the idea of um, synagogue membership for some people being, um, I, I came for this thing and I need this thing, whether it is a school or a ceremony or uh, a life cycle moment. Um, and we're trying to say this is a lifetime commitment to growing together. Yeah. Um, Correct. And, and of course, as we all know, uh, and we were talking about earlier, that, that society runs on an instant gratification model. Uh, Amazon will deliver me tomorrow the tutu that I need for the 80s party, <laughs> which came in time. Uh, but that's not how hard decisions are made and how we learn to live into our values. Correct. Definitely. And that's something that we struggle with all the time because... For the two of us, we've worked very, very hard on our marriage, and we we came into marriage knowing that we were going to work hard on it, but then living it every single day, understanding that sometimes things take a little bit of time, sometimes life throws things at you that you cannot prepare for, and you have to work through it, and you have to allow for there to be a space of not knowing. We've certainly lived through that and are continuing to live through it, and I was going to add one thing to what you just said about building trust and building relationships with clients. Mm -hmm. Both of us have mentors that we look to, that we go to with questions, that we seek out guidance from. And I would say that for you, a lot of your mentors in the CPA world, including my grandfather, who's 98 years old and was a CPA forever and ever, and they have amazing conversations. One of the things that you love most is listening to how they've built relationships with people over time and how they've built trust with people and for me, it's the same thing watching the relationships that so many of my mentors have built over the years with their congregants, with people they've married, people whose parents they've buried, children they've named. And I think for the two of us, you had brought this up when we were talking about it, looking to mentors, looking for guidance, we see it as such a blessing, right? Like we, we really pride ourselves on being able to go to people with tough questions and being open to learning different ways of doing things, which I think is also a really important conversation you or piece of this conversation. For example, going to people for guidance is not always something that we 
you know, we love to do as people, but it can be a huge blessing in this conversation as well. That's a great point. Uh, Josh, you also brought, uh, I believe it's your will. Yes, our will. Just the in office. case. Just in case. Tell me, tell me what it's like to carry that document. Just to specify, yeah. he doesn't carry it with him at all times. <laughs> This is just this morning. You just brought based it with on, you. Based on the conversation. Based on the conversation, I felt it was good to print it out because one of the things that's hard is you can't speak about something unless you actually do it yourself. And so for us, we created our will. We we, we were actually a little late in creating it because our son was born and I, then we created it after. I, I disagree with the late. I think we were right on time. Okay. But our son, Avi, was about six months old when we went to an attorney in Seattle that helped us craft our will. Mm. And Josh, when would you have preferred to have gotten your will done? I think it would have been better to get done kind of right when we got married, mm -hmm. ideally. Um, but nothing ever happens on time. That's right. And so I think the message is, is you got to at least make the effort. Like it, it's sending a thank you card late is better than no thank you card at all. Mm -hmm. And so you have it here today. And what did you imagine you might want to do with it or refer to it? Um, I think that the thought is just that we put in place certain people to help us if something happened. Um, some people were close with today. Some people were not as close with, but I think at the time we, we still feel that they would, uh, follow our wishes. Um, and then also one thing intentionally that we made as a decision as a family is if something were to happen to us, we concluded we love our parents, but, um, we wanted a younger person to take care of our son. He's blushing as he's saying this, and so am I. You know our parents are going to listen to this. It's possible. <laughs> but but we were thoughtful. We were intentional with that decision. Mm -hmm. that, that's what I'm trying to point out. And honestly, we have not really looked at that will since it was finalized and um, put into our important box. And I think, because I know you really well, that whenever you hold something, like physically hold something, it feels like it's closer to you. It feels like you can reference it better. And I think for you, printing it out was a way of saying to yourself and to me, like, oh, this is right here. This is something we worked on. This, this And it took a long time for us to do. We met with this attorney a few times and sure. had extensive conversations with each other about, you know, we have this circle of people that we love and who have been such a huge part of our lives. Now we're parents what do we want, God forbid, if something should happen to both of us? Mm -hmm. It seems like, oh, go ahead, Josh. So I think that also brings me back to a good point as it's occasionally good to check in with your will to make sure it meets what you desired, making sure maybe every five years that it, it fulfills what you wanted it to fulfill because things evolve and change. That's right. And, and I would almost put out there and see if Jacqueline agrees with me that, that Yom Kippur, that annual sort of moment of encountering your own mortality and wondering if you will be written into the book of life, wearing all white, denying yourself food for a day. If somewhere around that season, it might be good to go back to your will. It might be a great opportunity, again, to link up some of the hardest things we have to do in life might feel more bearable if we know that we are being supported by tradition. I love Definitely. that. Definitely. I think I love that's that great. Idea. Yeah. 
Uh, all right, Josh, one more question for you. Uh, it is May, which means you recently con- concluded, I'm sure, a very exhausting tax season. So congrats on making it through. Thank you. You look great. Thank you. Uh, what does what does an accountant do like with all this free time and open space and unburdened shoulders? So I'd say having those tough, intentional conversations uh, more, uh, cleaning up and kind of or- spring cleaning per se, just like we did with Passover, spring cleaning our offices, getting things ready, back, filed away. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I'd say, again, the biggest thing is kind of resetting, rethinking what are the intentional conversations we want to have going forward with our clients and our staff. And in your personal life? And in our personal life, I'd say uh, just being present, being home. Uh, There was a period I was working at the office a lot. Yes, I can um, imagine. And now I'm home with our son. And when we picked him up from school yesterday... He was just giggling that we would pick them up together. He was just like so happy. He couldn't stop laughing. He it was, was so, so happy. It's a very sweet reunion. But I, I would like to add that you and I, before we had Avi, right? We, we, I, I really, um, made it a mandatory thing that every single year, the weekend following or maybe the weekend after April fifteenth, we always go away as a family. Mm-hmm. It's required um, to have intentional time just for us uh, this past year we went to San Diego which was great we saw friends we went to the beach we just spent time together we don't mm-hmm. have to do anything super fancy it's just the togetherness is so important and it's a way to reset your brain Correct. reset our family dynamic yep and that that alone time that together time is so valuable for us definitely sounds great so Rabbi Jacqueline Cohen, available for weddings and also life planning. Yes. uh, From the spiritual side. And uh, Josh Cohen, available for accounting and planning and also thoughtfully purpose-driven questions about who you are, how you want to live, and of course, what legacy you want to leave after you die. Definitely. Powerhouse team, folks, (laughs) sitting here. We Uh, do our best. (laughs) uh, And we're really grateful uh, to have both of you part of our community and to continue to learn from you and with you. Uh, And for everyone else, uh, this is an opportunity to consider your own important questions, whether as a single person, as a member of a a marriage or a partnership, and certainly if you have children as a family unit, um, how can this conversation that we had here today ultimately stimulate your own conversations uh, and uh, invite the hard conversations, knowing that you are part of this uh, and part of a a larger tradition that has always embraced the challenge, uh, knowing that on the other side of it is the life that we hope to live. So thanks everyone. And we'll talk to you again next week.